This program features interviews with respected healthcare industry experts on current topics of substantial national importance. Your host for the program is David Intricasso, a DC-based healthcare policy analyst and researcher. We invite you to comment on the program by visiting thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Now, here's David. Welcome to the Healthcare Policy Podcast. Again, I'm the host, David Intracasso. During this podcast, we'll discuss the application of relational coordination to improving healthcare delivery and patient outcomes. With me to discuss the topic is Dr. Jody Geitel, professor at Brandeis University, founder of the Relational Coordination Research Collaborative and co-founder of Relational Coordination Analytics. Dr. Gattel's bio is posted on the podcast website. Briefly, healthcare delivery today requires ever-increasing coordination or task integration between and among healthcare providers. This is largely due to the increase in the prevalence of chronic conditions. For example, approximately two-thirds of Medicare beneficiaries, or nearly 40 million Americans, suffer from three or more chronic conditions. I'll add nearly one-third of all Medicare beneficiaries suffer suffer some form of cognitive or mental impairment. In addition to Medicare, all other healthcare payers or insurers are increasingly requiring healthcare providers to better coordinate their work such that, for example, hospital discharges are better planned and care transitions or care from one provider to another are performed successfully or without gaps. Again, with me to discuss relational coordination or how providers can better manage the interdependence of their work is, again, Professor Jody Gattel. Jody, let me start by asking the very basic question, what is relational coordination, or how did you identify or create the model or tool? Okay, thanks for asking. Relational coordination, most simply, is communicating and relating for the purpose of task integration. Um, and another way to put it is there are seven dimensions. Um, so we are looking at the degree to which people communicate in a frequent, timely, accurate, problem-solving rather than blaming way, um, and the degree to which they're connected by shared goals, shared knowledge, and mutual respect. And those seem like quite different dimensions, but it turns out they're highly interrelated and that the communicating and relating uh, tend to reinforce each other either for better or for worse. Okay, great. And you first started this work not in healthcare, but in, in what industry? Uh, it was actually in the airline industry. I started as a PhD student at MIT quite a few years ago, um, wanting to understand how people work together um, and focused on the flight departure process, uh, the time between when the plane arrives at the gate and uh, and when it leaves for the next flight. That time is um, is very precious and very costly in terms of uh, staff, aircraft, and the gate, the capital assets, as well as the human. And so the coordination across the 12 functions involved in flight departures is one of the major determinants of efficiency um, and the ability to offer um, low fares in the airline industry. So I looked at, um, I tried to understand what was driving that, uh, the success of that coordination and the ability to have a short ground time per flight while still achieving um, on-time departures, uh, you know, baggage handling success, safety, and, and low customer complaints. And I found out that it really was this uh, one of the major uh, determinants, uh, statistically speaking, were the networks of communicating and relating across the, those 12 functional 
roles. Okay, thank you. So you've moved on, and this work now, model or two, has become widely applied. Uh, I've noticed throughout the U.S. and actually overseas as well. But let's talk specifically, of course, about uh, using relational coordination in the healthcare setting. So uh, walk me through, say, maybe a few examples or more generically, perhaps, how uh, this is being used. Okay, I'll give you uh, two very different examples. One is the first one that I um, that I looked at: surgical care, uh, the care of uh, patients uh, getting joint replacements, I, uh, hip and knee. I looked at that across nine hospitals in the U.S.: Boston, New York City, and uh, the Dallas area, and wanted to understand the extent to which those networks of relational coordination were driving both clinical outcomes. Um, efficiency outcomes and patient satisfaction outcomes, um, and uh, and also as I did in the airline study, I hadn't mentioned, but what are the organizational structures that support those networks, either being highly connected or being fragmented and siloed? Um, so uh, in that study, I found that indeed the relational coordination across surgeons, physical therapists, um, social workers, nurses, um, and so on were um, uh, highly predictive of length of stay, patient satisfaction, and, and quite predictive also of the clinical outcomes um, that patients were reporting pain and functioning uh, six months post-discharge, and that there were a series of organizational practices similar to the airlines, how we hire, how we train, how we resolve conflicts, how we measure performance, how we reward, and so on, that were um, helped to explain the shape of those networks and, again, the extent to which they were connected or fragmented across those uh, key roles. So suffice to say, the higher level as measured of relational coordination, the better care delivery and the base, uh, better, excuse me, patient outcomes. In, in the case you just gave an example, say, lower lengths, a shorter lengths of stay, rather, um, less pain, um, improved or better patient satisfaction. Exactly. And now um, more and more people are looking at, uh, as you mentioned at the beginning of this of this podcast, the importance of understanding patients with complex chronic conditions and uh, often multiple uh, chronic conditions. So uh, I think as a result of that concern, um, not just in the U.S., but uh, truly around the world as the population ages and so on, um, people are looking to understand the role of relational coordination in caring for those patient populations and not just treating them in the hospital but uh, promoting health and wellness and keeping people out of the hospital. And so the most recent, the most uh, interesting studies in my view are the ones that are looking um, either in the uh, sort of the outpatient uh, primary care settings and we've got uh, and focusing particularly on chronic uh, disease patients. Um, we've had a, a study at a Cambridge um, network of primary care clinics, a health system in Cambridge, Massachusetts that has shown um, the strength of relational coordination within the clinic and between the clinic and the hospital accounts for better patient outcomes, uh, for example, fewer admissions of congestive heart failure patients and so on, fewer hospitalizations. Um, and so that, I think, is where the work will be headed. And not only to sh and, a and a very, very large study of chronic, um, chronically ill patients in the Netherlands across um, all of the municipalities where they looked at 
um, relational coordination from the perspective of the patient. So now we're getting beyond what we do for the patient to what do we do with the patient. And that measure of uh, coordination from the point of view of the patient about the team was highly predictive of the patient's uh, well-being in life. And so I, I think that's where a lot of the work will be moving as we start to move into the era of accountable care and seeking to keep patients um, uh, well um, and out of the hospital in collaboration, not just across the care provider team, but with community agencies, with the patient, and with the family itself. But let me ask, what, what does this, you did talk about how now uh, you're engaging uh, more of the patient, but what does this mean for uh, clinicians or providers? What's their view of applying or learning or improving, and, and, and what's their level after improving of their level of satisfaction? Yeah, so we're basically going beyond the research to now using relational coordination as a measurement tool to like, diagnose where a particular health system is at and where are the opportunities for improvement. So it's become a basically a, a tool for feedback um, about the current quality of cross-role uh, communicating and relating. And so that's really, I think, um, where, you know, it's great to do the research. We need it in terms of um, wanting to know uh, that it does, in fact, drive outcomes that we care about. But the next step, as you ask, is how do you actually change those? And so that process of feeding back um, and measuring is being led by RC Analytics. It's a measurement spinoff from Brandeis University, and we spun it off basically because uh, it allows um, the company to respond much more quickly to requests for um, measurement and um, and also then to be connected to trained people who can help to interpret the measures and give coaching to um, leaders on the ground. Okay. Let me ask specifically, so these are measures, and so this is quantified. But yes. Can you say, talk or drill down further on a few of these specific measures? What are they and how are they measured? Yeah, there are seven questions. So it's a very, some people call it simple and elegant, um, but it is a, a pretty straightforward measurement tool where respondents are asked, um, for example, how frequently do each of the, um, uh, do each of these work groups communicate with you about patient care or about complex chronic patients or whatever the focal uh, work is that the organization is concerned with? How timely is their communication with you? How accurate? Is your is their communication with you when things go wrong? Um, um, uh, do they focus on problem solving or blaming? Um, how to what extent do they share your goals for this patient population? To what extent do they know your role? And to what extent do they respect your role? Um, and so those um, those are answered each on a five point scale, and it generates a basically a network map across roles. We call it sometimes a relational map that shows across whether it's five or 12 key roles involved in that care of that patient population, what is the current strength of ties within and across each of those roles? And we can depict it, for example, with green lines for the, the strong ties where, well, these, everyone's on the same page here. Uh, blue, uh, it's not highly functional, not highly dysfunctional. We have room to improve. Or red, where you really have some uh, serious opportunities for improvement. Um, and that enables people to see what is the current state 
um, not as a final report card or judgment of them as individuals, but this is just often the role relationships we've inherited and um, what we now have to address if we want to move forward. Okay, so there is some relatedness to the analytics of social network analysis. Yes, exactly. We're looking at network maps um, and doing it across the seven dimensions that are that are meaningful for coordinating care. So we did discuss, again, the surgery and the chronic care, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you about the issue of patient safety since it's well known from the research literature that a good number of errors in care delivery are the result of poor communication. So this is a field I'm imagining in which you've done work? I haven't um, done work on patient safety uh, directly, but I've been um, part of writing up the results of a major study of six, um, I'm sorry, five uh, Pennsylvania hospitals led by Donna uh, Sullivan Havens from UNC Chapel Hill School of Nursing and Joe Vasey from the uh, Penn State School of Nursing, where they, over several years, uh, worked with five uh, hospitals in Pennsylvania, fairly uh, small rural hospitals, and measured relational coordination across nurses, physicians, and other um, disciplines across all the units in the hospital and found those to be drivers of patient safety outcomes, um, like medication errors and, and falls and so on. And so that, um, I think, was the first study I've seen to assess how these networks of relational coordination impact patient safety um, in terms of infections, falls, and more. Um, and someone else has looked at it, Cynthia Newell, I think in her dissertation, um, at relational coordination in the, uh, among the surgical team as a driver of um, uh, reduction of wrong site surgeries. But there, I don't think there's been a lot of work uh, thus far in patient safety relative to its importance. There is a group um, nationally that's measured RC across many um, many, many hospitals have just heard of their work and they haven't published their results and I'm very eager to see to what extent the relational coordination that they measured between the safety officer in the hospital and other functions is um, correlated or not with important safety outcomes, infection rates in particular. Great, great. Thank you. You did mention accountable care, so that gets me to where healthcare delivery is uh, moving forward to today and this model being applied. So I know you're working or doing some work with accountable care organizations. Can you explain or describe that? Yeah, I will. Um, two accountable care organizations in particular, I'll just mention um, in the interest of time, Dartmouth-Hitchcock and Billings Clinic. And um, Billings Clinic, I think the work has gone further, starting in the intensive care unit as a um, uh, relational coordination was measured and assessed and is in uh, a, co a constant state of improvement at this point um, based on the kind of insight that people got. And what I, I should mention about this change process is not only about um, reflecting, doing relational interventions, some uh, improvements in how we communicate directly with each other, but also stepping back to say, what should we be doing in terms of um, our rounding practices? What do we need to change in our information systems to make information more timely and visible and so on? So often this ref the, the measurement process and the diagnosis of RC leads people 
not only to directly assess their communication patterns, but to say, which structures do we need to change to do this better? So they now orient everyone entering uh, the ICU, including their new residents, in relational coordination. Um, they have uh, changed their information systems to facilitate um, RC in partnership with Cerner in this case, and um, have now implemented regular and more um, uh, more clearly delineated roles for for the providers in um, in daily rounds at the patient bedside. So it led them to through an improvement process that is now being extended into joint replacements and primary care uh, in terms of the patient-centered medical home. So that's that's a, a system where they've got um, uh, kind of quiet but very deep support from the CEO, uh, and that we think is one of the big determinants of success. Dartmouth-Hitchcock is starting in the 11 or 12, I guess it's 12 surgical sections um, to implement a relational coordination change process along with leadership training and microsystems improvement. And they are about midway through that journey. Um, and, uh, you know, you see what's interesting when you see multi-units, uh, multiple units simultaneously undertaking a, a change process, some will move further and faster than others. And so we hope to learn from that experience and then to see where they take it beyond could be um, into the community as um, as we note the importance of going beyond the walls of the hospital to extend throughout the integrated delivery system. Um, so that's um, those those two systems are are examples um, in the U.S. of how RC is being used to um, start in one fairly small area and then extend throughout a system. And at Dartmouth, I would say uh, likewise they have the support of Jim Weinstein, um, the CEO. As the, as at Billings, they have the support of Nick Walter. So let me ask. Internationally, is there an example in healthcare that you think for you that stands out that would be instructive for its application in the U.S.? Well, what I'm noticing, um, particularly in Denmark right now, uh, where uh, they are loving uh, relational coordination, I'm spending a lot of time, is not that they do everything perfectly by any means, um, but first of all, even in a single-payer system, how many coordination challenges you will find uh, because it's not just about how the payment is done, but about long-standing role relationships that we've all inherited. Um, so that is um, that's the first insight. But then, secondly, how much attention they are giving there, and I believe I'm seeing this um, uh, increasingly in Australia, Sweden, and uh, Norway as well, to um, coordinating care in the community and building uh, connections around the citizen. Um, in a more proactive way that is not dependent on a hospitalization, but rather is building the context for keeping people um, uh, healthy in their homes um, longer, particularly with a focus on the elderly. So I think there's a lot to learn there. I believe they're doing similar things in Netherlands, uh, more proactive community-based um, outreach that I think I'm starting to see that. I know Dartmouth is doing that up in um, upstate New Hampshire as well. So I don't think we're remiss. Um, but I, it just seems more widespread in Europe right now, that proactive outreach um, into the community, which is, I think, where we're, we're probably going as well. Nice to hear because, of course, the American healthcare system has been referred to as rescue medicine or resurrection medicine. I, I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. That's, of course, the cost question or the cost savings question. Uh, any research in RC as it relates to cost savings, cost avoidance, or however other it can be measured? 
Yes. Um, and as I, we just finished a very uh, detailed review of the literature, 67 studies across 15 countries. Um, and I would say compared to people who measure the impact on quality and safety and worker engagement, customer engagement, and learning and innovation, the cost and efficiency has been fairly um, low priority for researchers. Uh, but where we have seen it, pretty consistent um, prediction of uh, re reduced length of stay, and then also um, a recent study showing the uh, decline in the co total cost of inpatient and outpatient care for chronically ill patients across the board, and that was the, uh, the Cambridge Health System that I referred to earlier. So early indications that it's um, that it's a method of improving quality while reducing costs. Um, also, a recent Danish study looked at all of the primary care practices across the country, and um, and found that higher staff productivity in terms of patients um, uh, patients seen per member of the care team, um, while achieving same quality outcomes was higher with higher levels of relational coordination. So those are those are good early indications. I think we need more focus on that now that um, uh, clearly our health system needs to become more cost conscious. So I, I look forward to developing more evidence in that area. We do have um, evidence also for manufacturing and banking and accounting that higher productivity and, and um, higher profitability actually are some of the outcomes of good levels of relational coordination. So now that we're moving to payment for value, as they say, yes. Exactly. Well, sadly, uh, uh, Dr. Gattel, we're at our time boundary, so this whirlwind tour of RC, for which I'm very appreciative. So thank you very much. I thank you, David. It was a pleasure. You have just heard another edition of the Healthcare Policy Podcast hosted by David Intricasso. To comment on this program or others, to see information about upcoming interviews, to suggest a program topic, or to hear an archive program, please visit our website, thehealthcarepolicypodcast.com. Thank you for listening, and please listen again soon.